We are going to be in Philemon this morning and hopefully get all the way through it. Uh, Philemon is a letter written by Paul, just like Colossians, Philippians that we just looked at. And this time, though, this letter is not written to a church. It's a personal letter. It's written to a man named Philemon. That's where the, the book of the Bible gets its name. And it was written by Paul from a prison in Rome at the same time that Paul was writing the epistle to the Colossians that we just looked at. Philemon, the man, was a Christian who was from Colossae. So in that area of Colossae, Hierapolis, uh, Laodicea, around there, in Asia Minor. And Archippus, we'll see Archippus here in verse 2. Archippus seems to be Philemon's son. And if you remember back in Colossians, towards the end when Paul was listing these names off for us, and Archippus. And Archippus apparently was the one who was left in charge of the church at Colossae when Epaphras, their founder and presumably their pastor, went to see Paul in Rome. So Archippus, Philemon's son, is in charge of the church there at Colossae. Philemon had apparently been won to Christ through Paul's ministry, which we'll actually see here in just a second, and we'll talk about it a little bit more. But um, Philemon was apparently one of Paul's converts, which is interesting. This was probably through Paul's ministry at Ephesus, because we know that he didn't ever make it to Colossae. So Ephesus in that general area would have probably attracted Philemon to come and hear Paul. So Paul evidently came to Ephesus, we know this, and preached there. Philemon was probably there, heard the gospel, and was saved at that point. So getting into the scripture, we'll start, and I'm just going to read through this so we can get a good holistic view, the airplane view of this, and then we will circle back around and go into it in a little bit more detail. So verse one, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Apphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing 
that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say, but meanwhile also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So we see Paul laying out this letter to Philemon. And the purpose of this letter is twofold. The main purpose is Paul appealing to Philemon to receive his former slave, Onesimus, back into his household. Okay, in this time, we had slavery. Very, It was a very common thing in the Roman Empire. Um, runaway slaves were not treated well, to say the least. Uh, the least form of punishment that you would normally see for a runaway slave would be branding an F into their forehead. And that F stood for fugitivos, or fugitive. So they would always be branded as a fugitive. That is, if they were not put to death outright. Uh, And that would have been very common to see. Um, If a runaway slave was captured, they were usually used as an example to the other slaves. um, What would happen if you ran away? So the fact that Paul is even asking Philemon to receive this runaway slave back is extraordinary in this cultural context. And not only that, but he's asking Philemon to receive him back, not just as a slave, as a brother now in Christ, because Onesimus has come to Christ through Paul's ministry in Rome. So we're going to go back through this and pick it apart a little bit. So starting back in verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. Now, we see that Paul views himself as a servant of Christ. He says, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again, but Paul did not view himself as a prisoner of Rome. He viewed himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Though he was locked up in a Roman prison, He had a Roman guard chained to him 24-7. He did not count himself a prisoner to Rome. It was in his chains that he supposed he would make the best of it. You know, he's, and he writes in one of his epistles, this actually has turned out for the good of the gospel. It's been good that he was locked up in Rome. 
because the whole Roman guard, the praetorian, knew why he was there. They knew that Paul got to this prison, got to this point in his life by preaching this gospel that he believed with all that he had. And that's that's wonderful. So Paul, viewing himself as a servant of Christ, I think too often we take things too personally, don't we? If we're witnessing to someone and they just, they, they're fired up at you. They can't stand it. And they attack you personally. It happens. Okay. It's happened before and it'll happen again. But you need not take that personally because they're truly not attacking you, but they're attacking Christ and Christ is in you. You see, they can't get to Jesus anymore because he's not on the earth. When he was on the earth, they went straight for him, right? They even crucified him. But now that he's not on the earth, we are the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ on earth. So if you can't reach Christ himself, you will take what anger, what animosity you have out on the church. So it falls on each one of us. And uh, in Colossians 1, 24 and 25, Paul explains that his suffering, which he counts as joy, is not actually aimed at him, but at Christ. He says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. So right there, that gives us an insight into the mind of Paul here. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Apthia, our Chippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. So Apthia right here looks like Philemon's wife. So we have this little family that he's kind of greeting here. He greets Philemon and then greets his wife and then greets Archippus, which would have been their son. Like I said just a second ago, Archippus was the one left in charge of the church at Colossae when Epaphras left. And Philemon also apparently had a church meeting in his home. It was a little home fellowship. Uh, And it was common in these days for the believers to gather in homes because there were not necessarily churches constructed. I mean, we're really just a few years after Christ's earthly ministry at this point. And, you know, they were just getting the church started. It was just starting to spread. Uh, So these home churches would have been the going thing. So Philemon, a home church leader. And it's comforting to me in Matthew 18, 20, Jesus says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So we know that we don't have to have a giant congregation to have God in the midst of us. That's that's encouraging, especially this morning. You know, we don't have so many people, but it doesn't matter. Because we are joined, we're, we're coming together to study the word of God. And Christ says 
when two or three, even two or three, are gathered in my name, I am in the midst of them. That's that's wonderful. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A typical greeting from Paul. We've got grace and peace in there. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. So Paul is thanking God and mentioning them always in his prayers. This church in Colossae, uh, Philemon personally, and his family. Hearing of your love and faith, which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. Now, it's common for us to think that our serving God is bound by our locality, where we are located. And in some cases, you know, that's absolutely true. If I'm locked up in a prison in Rome, I can't be waiting tables in Colossae because I'm not there. I can't be teaching a church at Colossae if I'm locked up in Rome. So in that in that case, these things are bound by where you are. You can't serve God in these certain capacities when you're limited by where you are. But, see, Paul keys in on something. He mentions them always in his prayers. Even though he's in Rome and they're in Colossae, he does not forsake praying for them. And that's something that is not bound by where you are. doesn't matter where you are. You can be praying for other believers in a totally different part of the world. And you're serving God in that. So keep that in mind that you don't have to be everywhere at one time. There's only one who is. That's God. But you can appeal to him who is everywhere. You can go straight to God. And ask for his blessing on other believers, other congregations. So I would encourage you to do that. Uh, Hearing of your love and faith, which you have towards the Lord, Jesus, and towards all the saints. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. And that's Galatians 5, 6. Paul heard of the love and the faith that Philemon has towards the saints. It seems that these ideas of faith and love are inextricably connected. They're very closely intertwined throughout the whole New Testament. And if love and faith are expressed towards the person of Jesus Christ, and Jesus has effectually changed your life, then it will be no problem for love to be extended to your brothers in Christ. So if you love Jesus, then you will love your fellow Christians. And we see that in 1 John 3.14. He tells us, we know that we have passed from death to life. Those are definite articles. So we've passed from the death to the life because we love the brethren. So this love for the brethren is a litmus test of whether Christ has done a redeeming work in your life. If Jesus is the Lord of your life and has changed you, then you'll love your fellow Christians. It's very, very simple. And we love him because he first loved us. Verse 6, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Now, 
this is the same sentence as verse 4. So if we just take out the little verse 5 right there and just read from 4 to 6, it makes more sense to us. So I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So we see that this verse 6 is what he's praying for. So he's making mention of them always in his prayers and praying that the sharing of their faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, for we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Now, I don't know about you, but this sounds like a pretty good guy to hang out with. I would think so. I'm pretty sure that everybody knows some guy or gal who, when you hang out with them, just when you're around them, they just drain the life right out of you. Yeah. Everybody knows somebody like that. And I'm sure that everybody knows someone who, when you hang out with them, when you're around them, they just kind of fill you up. You feel refreshed when you leave their presence. And so Philemon is guy number two. (laughs) He is refreshing to everyone that he comes around. And what a great thing to be said about you, especially in the word of God. That's exciting. Paul says that the hearts of the saints are refreshed by Philemon. And really, besides just expressing his appreciation for Philemon's character, I think that in this, Paul is kind of buttering him up for what he's about to lay lay down. So he's about to drop this bomb about his runaway slave Onesimus. But he's like, man, you're just, you're so refreshing to be around. We love you, Philemon. Here we go. Fingers crossed. So into verse 8, we see Paul starting to actually appeal for Onesimus. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. So this is interesting. We we know that Paul obviously has some authority. There's some weight to the things that he says. Okay, He's an author of the New Testament. He was converted, chosen directly by God. He wasn't converted by man, remember? In Acts 9, the road to Damascus, Saul was traveling to Damascus, and there was this bright light, and God spoke to him. God chose him to represent him. So chosen by God, not even like evangelized by a man. So there is weight to what Paul says. And I think he understood that. I mean, you see, therefore, I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting. I have the authority to tell you something and you have the um, need to obey that. So whatever I say goes, yet, for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. So instead of being brash about it, just saying, hey, you got to receive this guy. He's your brother now. Get over it. Instead of saying that, he appeals. 
he asks Philemon for love's sake. Okay. And I think there's so much right here that we can take from this. As a Christian, we don't need to be brash all the time. We don't need to assert our authority in whatever capacity that may be, work, uh, relationships. You don't need to assert your authority over someone, but rather for love's sake, maybe appeal to them. In Matthew 20, 25, Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. It's an upside down power triangle in God's economy. It's not like the world does it, where you've got the guy at the top giving orders to the guys underneath him, but you flip that triangle upside down, and at the bottom is the head guy. He's the servant of all, and that's important to understand, and we don't run the church like we run a business. In a business, you'll have the guy at the top giving orders to the guys underneath. Well, the head of the church is Christ. That's that's where we get our direction and our orders from. But he came and he was the servant of all. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So what should we be doing? We shouldn't be lording our authority over anyone else. We should be placing ourselves underneath them, making their needs more important than our own. We should be a servant to all. And so we can learn from how Paul handles this. Uh, we apply that to our interactions with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we will see fruit from that. So being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. Now, this verse 10, in the original language in Greek, the name Onesimus would have come at the end of this verse. So it would have read like, I appeal to you for my son, whom I have begotten while in my chains, Onesimus. So he he really saved that name for the end of the thought. He was kind of leading on Philemon. He's saying, hey, you know, I appeal to you for my son. So this guy's really close to Paul. I appeal to you for my son, whom I have begotten while in my chains. So evidently Paul was a factor in Onesimus' conversion. Onesimus was a fruit of Paul's labor. I've begotten him while in my chains. Then he drops the name. And this guy I'm talking about is Onesimus. And I'm sure that just the name of Onesimus probably sparked some emotions in Philemon. If you you had a slave and he ran away, man, I don't think Philemon would have been very happy about that. 
And just hearing the name of Onesimus probably sparked some kind of carnal reaction in Philemon. I would think. I, I don't know. Verse 11, he says, Who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. So at one point, <laughs> obviously Onesimus was not profitable to Philemon. He ran away, and we'll see in a second that he actually stole some money from Philemon as he ran away. So not good, not profitable. In fact, the exact opposite of profitable. Uh, he was a loss to Philemon. But now is profitable to you and to me. So now as a brother in Christ, Onesimus is profitable to both Philemon and to Paul. Because they're both on the same mission. They're both spreading the gospel. They're both perpetuating this gospel of grace. And now Onesimus is helpful in them doing that. He's profitable now. I'm sending him back. You, therefore, receive him. That is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. So now he just says, well... I'm sending him back to you, uh, and because I'm sending him back, I want you to receive him. And that is my own heart. Paul is not just sending back a former slave. Paul is sending back someone who he has grown very, very close to. And that's that's evident in Paul calling Onesimus his own heart. So it's like Paul was sending a piece of him back to Philemon in Onesimus. Whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. He seems to know that Philemon would want to be there in Rome with Paul uh, himself if he could. But he doesn't have the opportunity to do that. So Paul is thinking, well... I bet that if I told Philemon I was going to send Onesimus back, he would say, oh, just keep him there and he'll help you out in Rome. He might have said that, but Paul chooses not to keep him there with him, though he wanted to, because of this, verse 14. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. He ultimately comes to this decision that he doesn't want to keep Onesimus in Rome without the permission of Philemon. He doesn't want this good deed, as he called it, to be a result of Philemon not getting to choose. He wants the good deed to be done by choice. And that's very important. You'll see many companies, many corporations using uh, motivation from the world. And unfortunately, you do see a lot of churches doing that too. You'll see some churches using motivation to get you to drop your money in the offering plate. Uh, and that's not biblical. We see offerings being taken up in the Bible and there's no twisting of arms. 
There's no guilt tripping, nothing like that. In fact, one instance of an offering being taken up that stood out to me, and we we actually just went over this in youth, it's when Moses was taking up the offering for the materials to build the tabernacle. And you can find this in Exodus 35, but verse 21 says that everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing, and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting. So Moses didn't twist their arms to give him anything. He simply said, this is what the Lord is asking. Whoever is willing, please bring these things and we'll build this tabernacle. Well, just a couple verses later in Exodus 36, Moses literally had to command the people to stop giving because their hearts were stirred. And each one whom he had purposed in his heart to give, gave. They listened to that stirring and they gave. So this is from a few verses later. It says that they brought material sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, too much. They brought too much out of no worldly compulsion, but by their free will. So I think that that's the same way that we need to to act in the church. Uh, We don't need to be setting a thermometer up at the back and trying to hit this goal, you know, like $50,000 we need to raise for dot, dot, dot. You set that thermometer back there every week. You walk in, you see it like, oh, we're not at our goal yet. We need to give more. I don't think that that's necessarily how it should be. But give generously. But God loves a cheerful giver. In the Greek, a hilarious giver. So if you can't give hilariously, give out of the abundance of your heart, then don't give because God doesn't want it. He doesn't require that you give something that you're not willing to give. And we see that through and through. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So we know that Philemon was probably distraught after Onesimus ran away. But Paul proposes this idea to him that maybe Onesimus's running away was to bring about his conversion and to bring him back to you as much more than a slave but as a brother. That's an interesting thought. So meanwhile, behind the scenes, God is working. God is putting these puzzle pieces together and he's leading Onesimus to to Rome where Paul is. He's crossing their paths. Then Onesimus ends up being saved. And Paul is proposing the idea, hey, maybe... That's why he ran away in the first place. And of course, he didn't know that's why he was running away. But maybe it was. And that's such an interesting thought for us. As we we see people run away both physically from places, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. We see people run away. And I've seen people run away in my life 
and specifically spiritually, uh, the one or two that I'm thinking of. And it could just be that God is using that departure to bring about a change in their life. And I can't help but think that, you know, I hope that that is, in fact, the reason for them running away. Running away from the faith, running away from literally your house, uh, running away in all sorts of senses. But it is encouraging to me that God has a plan. He he uses what the enemy purposes for evil, for good. And we see it over and over. We've seen it before, and we're going to see it again. But this idea is difficult for us to understand because we can't see these things that are working until they're done. And so... What does that mean? It means we have to have faith. Now, faith is something that we hope for in what we can't see. And we can't see this working of God behind the scenes, but we need to have faith that it's happening. If you could see it, it wouldn't be faith. You wouldn't need faith if you, you saw something. So remain faithful. Um. And no doubt, I'm sure everyone, most of you, if not everyone, has thought of someone already uh, that they've experienced uh, departure from, that's ran away from them in some way or another. But keep praying for them. Um, remain faithful in praying and in general. And ask God that he would bring them back because he can. And he has. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So Paul observes this occurrence from outside of the relationship of Philemon and Onesimus. But it's more special to Philemon than it is to Paul, because he's in the midst of it. He says, especially to me, but how much more even to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? If then you count me as a partner, and that partner comes from the same root as koinonia, which is fellowship. So they're they're sharing fellowship, they're partners in this. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. Wow. Receive him as you would me. So now not only is Paul calling Onesimus his heart, he's saying his heart goes with him. He's just saying, man, if you would receive me, if I came to Colossae, I want you to receive this guy. Receive him the same way that you would receive me. Receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, Put that on my account. I'm sure Paul knew. Uh, we know that he was close to Onesimus. Onesimus probably told him, like, hey, when I left, I kind of swiped some stuff on my way out. So I'm sure he felt bad about that after the fact. But Paul here is saying, but if he has wronged you, 
or owes you any, anything, probably knowing that he did wrong him, put that on my account. So forget that he owes you that. Now I owe you that. And that is, again, speaking to how Paul would liken Onesimus to himself, saying, receive him as you would me. I, you know, we're basically one. We're brothers in Christ. So put his account on me. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. So this is where we get the insight that Philemon was a convert of Paul. So in Paul's journey in Ephesus, he probably met up with Philemon and converted him. So (laughs) it's funny because he's saying he's not going to mention it, but in saying that he's not going to mention it, he mentions it. It's hilarious. Um, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention that you owe me everything. So what is this one little debt to you? You owe me your own life, your eternal destiny. So why are you all tripped up about this this small debt that Onesimus owes you? Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. It would bring Paul great joy if Philemon would fulfill his wish to receive Onesimus as a brother. And I have to mention this too because we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, but this refresh my heart in the Lord, heart there is bowels, okay? It's the deepest part of you. And like we would say, I love you with all my heart, they would say something like, I love you with all my bowels, which is weird to us, but it's it's how it was in that culture. And so in asking um, Philemon to refresh his bowels in the Lord. Uh, he's asking Philemon to refresh the innermost part of him where he feels the most intense emotion. Have you ever been witnessing something? Doesn't matter what it is. And you can tell that something's about to go wrong. Either maybe it's your son. He's on a bike. He's going real fast. And there's a curb right in front of him. You're like, oh. And you feel that in your gut. See, we, we say gut. That's basically the same thing as the bowels. It's, it's really not in the region of the heart. It's in the region of the stomach. So you just feel that. And it's an intense thing. Um, you can feel it with joy. If you're joyful, you don't really feel that in your heart. You feel it more in your stomach area. That's interesting. It's interesting that they've caught on to that way back here. And then we get further and further from the truth. So, yeah. (laughs) Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But, meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me. For I trust that through your prayers, I shall be granted to you. I wonder if any of y'all have ever worked in sales. I imagine a few of you have. I've worked in sales before. I worked at Cavenders, um, selling boots and jeans, Western wear type of stuff. Paul uses what's called a presumptive close. And this is pretty cool. Well, 
cool, maybe not the right word, but it's interesting. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you'll do even more than I say. So he presumes that Philemon is going to be fine with this. <laughs> so if I'm selling a pair of jeans and the customer walks in, I say, here you go. Here's a couple sizes for you to try on. There's these cinch white labels. They go into the dressing room, try them on, come out, not sure if they're going to buy yet. And I'm like, okay, well, how did they fit? Like, did you like them? They're like, yeah, I like them. The 32, 36 fit pretty well. So I'm like, okay, how many do you want? That's a presumptive close. I'm presuming that they are going to buy. And so that's that's literally what Paul is doing here. Having confidence in your obedience. I know you're obedient. I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. So not only will you receive him as a brother, I'm sure you're going to be happy to have him and maybe even throw him a, a big meal, you know, welcome him back. But meanwhile, also pre- prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers, I shall be granted to you. Now, I mentioned at the very beginning, there were a couple of purposes for this letter. The main one was appealing for Onesimus. This is the second purpose. Uh, that Philemon would prepare a guest room for Paul, who hopes to come to Colossae soon. 23, he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. So these are many of the same people that Paul mentions in his closing to his letter to the church in Colossae. Uh, We've got Epaphras. Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, uh, many of the same people. So the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And he wraps up the letter. Now, look at, just real quick, Romans six sixteen. Here, Paul says, do you not know? that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. So we're all slaves to something. And many of us have very literally been slaves to something in the past. Or maybe you're struggling with that right now. I've been a slave to things. Um, mostly my own desires. Before I came to know Christ, I got tangled up with junk. And I know many have the same story that I do. Uh, we were a slave to something. Well, in Christ, you're freed from that. You're freed from what you were a slave to, the carnal inclinations of your heart. You're no longer a slave to that, but you're now a slave to obedience. You're a slave to Jesus Christ, like Paul likens himself, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. The pursuit of a man's life is to find a good master because everyone will serve a master. Everybody. The atheist who declares Nobody rules over me. I am my own man. His master is himself. The man who acknowledges Jesus 
yeah, he was, he was a good guy, or maybe even he is a savior. Jesus is a savior. If he does not allow Jesus to be his savior, it's no different. Jesus must become your personal savior. Verse 25 here in Philemon, Paul says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. He doesn't say the grace of a Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the name Jesus is pretty common. There are more than one Jesuses. In fact, if I said, hey, do you know Michael Jordan? You know, the coal miner that lived in West Virginia in the 1860s. You know Michael Jordan? You're like, what are, what are you talking about? That's not the Michael Jordan that I know. I know a different Michael Jordan. Well, there are many that profess the name of Jesus. But you start talking to him, and you're like, man, this is not the same Jesus. It's a different person altogether. It's not the Jesus that is given to us in the Bible. It's someone totally different. So you can be using the same name and not talking about the same person. Michael Jordan, the coal miner, is not Michael Jordan, the basketball player. They're different people. But what's important is that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Jesus that is revealed in the Bible, is the Jesus that is Lord of your life. You know, too often uh, people see this as fire insurance. You know, I know Jesus, so I don't go to hell. That's that's the end of it. Well, that's true. When you know Jesus, you're not going to hell. You're going to spend eternity with him. But he shouldn't just be your savior. He should be your savior and your Lord. The preeminent one in your own life, governing the things that you do every day. It shouldn't be up to you what you do. It's up to your Lord, your master, whom you serve. And that should be Jesus for every one of us. And what a blessing it is to have Jesus as our master. Because he is the only good master. The only one. You will not find a good master in the world. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. They're evil masters. And they don't want what's best for you. Jesus Christ came to the earth to give us what is best for us, him. He came to give us himself and died for that end. We were all slaves to something before coming to Christ. And I'm so thankful that he's pulled me back to him time and time again when I started to run away. I'm very thankful for that because he did not have to do that. But he did, and I'm so thankful for it. And I don't know what you may be a slave to, maybe have been a slave to, or what you're struggling with right now. I don't know those things. But I do know one thing, and that is that no matter what thing that is, Christ is greater than that. And that's a comfort. 
Christ is greater than whatever has enslaved you in the world. And you have an advocate, an intercessor in Christ. We saw Paul intercede for Onesimus. He said, if he owes you anything, put it on my account. That's exactly what we see Jesus has done. Jesus is that intercessor for us. And no doubt, Paul learned that from Jesus. Paul demonstrating that in the life of Onesimus was a direct reflection of what Jesus has done in our lives. Father, no, 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 no. Yes, he he messed up there. But put that on my account. I've already taken care of it at the cross. It's done. So Jesus steps in between us and the Father. He is that intercessor for us. So wherever you are, whatever you're enslaved to, whatever you've been enslaved to, it's time to come home. Come back to Christ. Make him the Lord of your life. If you already have and maybe you've fallen away a bit, reaffirm that commitment in your heart. Place Jesus back at the top, back at the top of your life. And maybe it's it's an everyday thing. And it is. I mean, it's an everyday thing. I wake up in the flesh. And I have to make a conscious decision to put Jesus Christ first. Every day I wake up. Because it's not natural to us. Our natural tendency is to lean back to those things which once enslaved us. And we feel comfortable there until we get there. So every day, put Jesus at the top. It's simple, but simple and easy are different. Okay, it's worth the struggle. And it's a struggle at first, you know to put Jesus up top, to sacrifice your own desires. It's difficult at first, but it's sweet. It's so sweet when you do it. So let's go to the Lord in prayer.